0: Well, I'm not sure what your story is or what the missing piece in your life is, but today we start a new series called Skeptics Wanted, and this series is for anyone who's ever had questions about God. Maybe you grew up in a culture where you could not ask questions you were supposed to just believe. This series is for you, and this series is for anyone who has friends who are skeptical about faith, and you don't know what to say. You know, maybe they talk to you and they give you an argument, and you're like, "Well, that's a great argument. I don't know how to argue against that. I just have a faith belief that I believe in, but I don't know how to talk about it." Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be um, going to begin the discussion about faith and about why we believe. What we believe. And so, welcome to the crossing. So glad that you are here. Glad that you've joined us. If you came back for the first time since Easter, which would be all of you, but if you came back for the first time at Easter and then came back, we're especially glad to have you. And would you help me welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, and those who are watching online? <laughs> welcome to the community here. Glad that you're a part of us today. Well, I've told the story before about my grandfather on my dad's side. My grandfather on my dad's side came to Christ in his 20s. It was actually my grandma who won him to the Lord. And when he became a follower of Christ, it changed his life. He raised my dad in a Christian home. And I am here as a legacy of that faith from my grandfather. But I've never told you about my mom's dad, my grandfather from um, my mom's side. My great-grandfather was a famous speaker He traveled around the country in the early 1900s and he would go from city to city to city and he would speak in the local community theater that would be the center of every community at the time. There was no movies back then. The entertainment options were not what we had now. And so he would go into a city, he would speak in the evening and people from the entire town would come in. And then when he was done, he would get onto a train. He would go to the next city and he would speak there. He did about 250 engagements Every single year. And he would talk about life lessons. He he would always base his, his talks on faith and family and good values. When he was in a city on a Sunday, he would speak at the local church. And he gave his most famous speech over a thousand times. His most famous talk, it was called Lightning and Toothpicks. I actually have a copy of the original talk that he gave a hundred years ago. My initials, I was named after, uh, my initials were named after my great-grandfather. His son, my grandfather, grew up in a home of faith. And this is his Bible right here. This is my grandfather's Bible. And as you look at my grandfather's Bible, he would... He would begin to read it, and he would always mark the date that he read different sections. Like you begin in Genesis, and there's a, there's a date that says November 23rd, 1922. And then every time he would read, every day he would read, he would write the dates that he read that. Well, as I begin to look closer at to his Bible, I begin to see that it was revealing some doubts in him. He was starting to wrestle with his faith. And in the back of the Bible is a section where there are some study questions. And at the very beginning, he has fear, and he has a definition for fear. He says, being ashamed of not doing your Sunday school lesson. Something was going on in him as he began to have these doubts. And as you read further into the Bible, into these study guides... There is one particular page where it said that, uh, that God's word should be as much of our daily lives as our meals. And this is what he writes. He says, which God? And then later on, it talked about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, the, the tree that was in the garden. You remember God said, you can eat of all the other trees, but this tree you cannot eat from. He writes there, he just says, how illogical. And then in this section where where it talks about that God knows everything about us, he just writes, no, he doesn't know it. And then later on, it says that without the, the covering, that we can't provide a covering for our own sin. And then he just writes in the margin that what's the use then? What's the use? And then finally, It says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. And he just says, no, no, never. He eventually walked away from God. And to our knowledge, he never came back. We don't know if he ever came back to faith. And maybe you have a story in your family like that, or maybe that's your story. Maybe that's, that's your story. See, in those days, it was pretty unusual to walk away from God. But today, a significant percentage of our country is disconnecting from religion. There was an article in CNN.com about a year ago where they talked about the world's fastest growing religion. And it's a group called the nuns. Now, I'm not referring to the Catholic nun who taught your third grade class. This is nuns, N-O-N-E-S. It refers to those who have no faith affiliation at all. And where this comes from is like when you take a survey and it says, what's your faith affiliation? This is all the people who mark none. that there is no faith affiliation that they belong to at all. Well, 10 years ago, 16% of people, of Americans, said they had no faith affiliation. Today, that number is 23%. So almost one out of every four people say that they have no faith affiliation. So when you're at work, when you're out in the community, when you're in your neighborhood, almost one out of four of those people say they have no faith affiliation at all. Just a few generations ago, 85% of Americans claimed to be followers of Christ And of the millennial generation, that number has dropped to 56%. And the majority of the nuns were part of the Christian faith at one time. But they are leaving in record numbers. Barnett Research Institute has done a lot of research on this. And they said that the number one reason that millennials are leaving is because, quote, the church is not a safe place to express their doubts. Which means it is the church's fault. It is people who do what I do for a living. We are partially to blame for this because the majority of millennials don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with religion. They have a problem with the church. So let me tell you the goal today. Let me tell you the goal today. Today is not meant to answer all of your questions. You're not going to leave here today and be able to convince your coworker that God exists. My goal is to begin the discussion. want to begin building this foundation and to prompt you towards whatever is your next step in your life. Over the years, I have heard and read a lot of stories of people who walked away from Christianity. I think I've heard almost every single story of people who told me why they have left the faith. And there's a lot of reasons why people step away from God. But what I have never heard is a story of someone who stepped away from Christianity that had anything to do with Christianity. Now, I'm not saying they don't exist. I've just never talked to them. When I talk to people, they have these misconceptions about God, and I think, who told you that's what God is like? Because God's not like that. And what they usually have in common is they have one of these barriers of faith. They have one of these barriers of faith that's got in the way of their relationship with God, and they have this this misconception about what God is like. And I have three of those. There might be more, but I've kind of categorized these into three categories. The first one is an intellectual barrier. That maybe you grew up in church, and when you went away to college, it eroded your faith. That the professor got up and suggested that only science can reveal truth. That if something can't be explained by the five senses, if you can't touch it, see it, smell it, then it's not truth. It's just conjecture or it's just fantasy. Some say that the religion is for the weak-minded, that it's just this crutch, it's this imaginary friend that you've made up to kind of get through the day, and that the universe is just random chance. It's a product of random chance. God cannot be seen, and so therefore, this thinking is, is that there's no concrete evidence for the existence of God. Maybe you grew up in a culture that says, don't ask questions, disbelieve. But our faith, if it can't hold under the microscope of science, then we should just pack it up and go home. Because science should be a tool to help us understand faith, and faith should be a tool that helps us understand science. Because truth is truth. But for a lot of people, there is this intellectual barrier to faith, and maybe that has been your barrier over the years. It's just something just didn't add up for you. Here's a second barrier. It's an emotional barrier. It's an emotional barrier. It's people who wrestle with questions like, how can God be a good God when they're suffering in this world? Or they look at other Christians and they say, you know, so many Christians are hypocrites. How can I be around them? And I'm just to say, there's always room for one more. I mean, just join us. There's always room for one more hypocrite. And they say, to think that a loving God would send people to hell just doesn't make sense. They look at what's going on around the world and they say, you know, religion has caused so many wars and so much pain. Or maybe it's very personal where they said, I tried praying and it just didn't work, so I gave up on God. I have found that people who are most hostile to Christianity are those who have been deeply hurt in life, and many times by those who claim to be a Christian. So you might be one of those people who started asking these questions that you look at suffering, that you look at why do bad things happen to good people, and you cannot come up with a good answer. And your parents couldn't ask the, answer the questions, your pastor couldn't answer it satisfactorily. Somebody gave you a book and it still didn't answer. There are these emotional barriers that get in the way of our faith with God. And then the third one is moral barriers. It's a moral barrier. And here's what I mean by this, that, that you or somebody has chosen to live their life in a way that's contrary to the Bible. There is this habit that I enjoy. Some people call it an addiction, they'll say. But, you know, I can quit whenever I want. There's this habit I enjoy. So it's easier to walk away from God than it is to walk away from the habit. You know, this is my life. I can do whatever I want. Or if I believe in God, it might mess with my sex life. And nobody can tell me who I can sleep with. See, this this moral barrier, it might be an issue of pride. Because it takes humility to consider that there is a God who is greater than you and that you must submit your life to him. It takes humility to seek truth and embrace a belief in God when maybe your family or your friends do not believe in that same God. There are these intellectual, emotional, and moral barriers And your struggle may have had nothing to do with Christianity, but it is these barriers that got in the way of God. And let me just say, if Christianity is not compelling, then I'm convinced it's because you have the wrong version of Christianity that you have missed something about the God of the Bible. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're just going to look at a couple verses at the very beginning because we have these barriers to faith, but I want to talk about this verse that is the cornerstone of our faith, and it's how the Bible begins. It's the very first verse in the Bible, and here's what it says, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, you say it. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you not in the beginning me, the first thing that we learn about the Bible is that it is all about God. 32 times in the first 31 verses of Genesis 1, God is mentioned. He is the main character. And here's what we learn, that God is eternal. He does not have a beginning, that in the beginning, God, he is eternal. That he is all-knowing. He knows everything that happens. There is nothing hidden from God. There may be things in your life that you hide from other people in your life, but there is nothing hidden from God because he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is all places at all times. He is not confined by time or by space. And he is all-powerful. As we're going to see that he is the creator. It goes on to say, it says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for created is bara. It's bara. It's, it means to create from nothing. Now you might be somebody who cooks. maybe you like to make um, cookies or cupcakes or muffins, and you like to say, "I make these from scratch." Well, not really. Because you use some ingredients to put all that stuff together. You didn't make it from scratch. Or maybe you build furniture and you'd show people, you kind of show it off and you go, I made this from nothing. Well, you didn't make it from nothing because you had something to start with because you can't borrow anything. Only God could do that. I mean, wouldn't it be pretty cool if you could go out to the parking lot at your old junker car and you go, let there be Mercedes. <laughs> or you look at your report card and say, let there be A's. or you look at your spouse and say, let there, okay, never mind, we'll just stop right there, <laughs> that in the beginning, God created. And then in verse three, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke our world into existence. Creation reveals the glory of God this picture was taken from the hubble telescope it's another galaxy called the spiral galaxy and it's estimated that it contains one trillion stars and 100 billion of them are a similar size to our sun just take that in for a second that right there you're looking at a picture where there are 100 billion stars the size of our sun, and this is one galaxy out of an estimated one million galaxies. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. See, some of you You might get hung up on how. Did God create it with a big bang? Did God do something else? Was it a literal six days? Was it a figurative six days? Listen, I don't have all the answers to how, but Christianity is about the who. It is God. It's God. And if you want to dig deeper into this, there's a great book by Lee Strobel called The Case for a Creator that will help you dig deeper into all of these. But here's the deal. That if you can believe the first sentence of the Bible that in the beginning God created, you won't have a problem with the rest of the Bible. That if you can believe that God created life, then the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus are not a problem. If you believe that God created the elements and created the world, then a burning bush or a parting of the Red Sea, a fish that swallows a guy and spits him out three days later, that's not a problem. And let me just say this. If you don't believe that, that's okay. You are welcome here. We have a value here at the crossing. We have it on our building that you come as you are, that we want you to go on this journey with us because we just believe that God has a purpose for your life. And even if you don't believe that, you are welcome to go on this journey with us. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is you can't move away from something without moving towards something else. You can't move away from something without moving towards something else. Maybe you stepped away from religion, and specifically you stepped away from Christianity because there's been this barrier to your faith, this barrier. It's been this emotional barrier. Why would God allow something like this to happen? Or it's this moral barrier. There's something in your life but it has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. You can't move away from God without moving towards something else. So you have to ask the question, what am I moving towards? And you go, well, I'm not moving towards anything. I'm just stagnant right now. You're not. You're not. Because you are moving towards something. That's why I'm convinced that coming to church is so important. It's like you asked me, did... Last night, did, did my dinner change my life? Nope. Did lunch yesterday change my life? Nope. How about dinner the night before? Nope. But if I had not eaten for a week or two, that dinner would have changed my life. When you come to church, does coming to church change your life? Not usually. There are times when it does. There are times when you come in here and it is like God knows exactly what you're going through and God meets you here, but that doesn't happen all the time. It is the weekly decision. Here's the reason why coming to church is so important. It is the weekly decision to move towards God. I had a bunch of conversations last week with people who hadn't been in church for a long time and they didn't say, you know, I haven't been in church for six months, but I feel so close to God right now. It's not what they said. What they said is, I just feel distant from God, and I needed to be here. Because when we move towards God, it does something to us. You can't move away from something without moving towards something else. And so there's a couple applications for a couple groups of people that are in here right now. First, for those of you who have stepped away from God, and maybe you're making some steps back in. You've stepped away from God. I want to show you a Bible verse that might surprise you. It actually is a Bible verse where Jesus is answering the question, what is the greatest commandment? It's out of Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and look at this, and with all your mind. That God wants you to have an intellectual faith. And at the crossing, we are passionate about you using your mind to love and to know God. We have an environment here called Alpha. Alpha is for anybody who has some of these questions that you're wrestling through. This environment, it starts on Tuesday nights right here on our campus. We do three of these a year to where this is, a, a, this is a, an environment that's going to last about nine weeks where we're going to go through these questions that you have. The reason that we offer Alpha, the reason that we have had hundreds of people go through this is because we deal with some of these questions that you deal with and talk about how you can use your mind. God wants you to love him with your mind. It is an intellectual faith. Well, this next verse is for the others of you in this room that maybe you have a friend that you're trying to help. You don't have any personal barriers that get in the way of your relationship with God anymore, but you have a friend that you're trying to help. And here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, that you're living for Christ in your life. But look at this next part. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. See, being condescending and winning an argument rarely wins someone to the Lord. That you need, to be a reason, you need to have a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus, that you be ready for that hope. But you talk to people with gentleness and respect. You respect people right where they are. You come alongside them and you respect them and you use gentleness to begin to speak into their life. Gentleness and respect. Maybe, You've been trying to figure out what is the missing piece for you. You just feel like something is just not right. That there is a barrier to your faith. And what I want to begin to to push you on is there is a barrier to faith that has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Because you can't move away from something... Without moving towards something else. And the path that you choose will determine your destination. Richard Dawkins is a a famous atheist, and he has written a bunch of best selling books. And one of his books, called The God Delusion, he tries to explain natural selection. This is the term that was popularized by Darwin. Natural selection is what is responsible for all life after the first life, this process of evolution. Now, he begins to explain it. The first time I heard this quote from his book, I thought, is he making fun of this? And he's not. He's trying to bring emotion to it. Now, let me read you just this section in his book where he says this. He says, think about it. On one planet and possibly only on one planet in the entire universe... Molecules that would have normally make would make nothing more than complicated, um, nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock, gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases. Of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. See, when you take God out of the equation, then you you try to explain our world in different ways. When you take God out of the equation that there is no God, there is no God who created, then you have to come up with different ways of why this world exists the way it does. And there is one view that says that there were just chunks of matter, chunks of rock that begin to evolve into people. Or there is another way that says that there is a God who loves you. See, to view the view of God or the absence of God as a path that will lead to a destination. Or the view that there is an eternal God, that He created you in His image. That there is a God who knows you and loves you. There is a God who wants to have a relationship with you. That God has a purpose for your life. That will lead you down a different path. And that will lead you to a different destination. And perhaps your struggles with faith is based on a God that never existed. And as you begin reading the Bible and you begin moving towards the God of the Bible, you will discover the real God, the true God. A.W. Tozer, who's a famous theologian, says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, our view of God will shape our view of ourselves. Your view of God will shape your view of yourself so would you take some steps to start moving towards god to see what god could do in and through you i want to pray together and that's my challenge for you is no matter where you are in your faith maybe you're just beginning and you have a lot of these barriers and a lot of these doubts what would it look like for you to begin moving towards god maybe you've been a follower of christ your entire life And here's what what we know, is that if you don't move on a daily basis towards God, you're going to move away from God, saying, okay, God, meet me here where I am. I'm ready to take the next step with you.